of everybody to listen. Lord, uh, help us to be challenged from your word. Lord, uh, I pray that you would move me out of the way and that you would allow me to say the things you'd have me to say, Lord, and uh, allow me to, to just uh, be able to help the people tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we find ourselves there in Genesis chapter number 33. Like I said, I believe this is the last uh, sermon we'll do out of the life of Jacob. Now, we will hear a little bit more of Jacob towards the end of uh, Genesis, when we get towards the end of Joseph's life. Jacob will re-enter the picture, and we might talk about him a little more at that point. But, um, you know... We find here kind of a sad story. I don't know if you understood everything as we were reading. We're going to go through it. But um, we, we, we start seeing uh, some of the issues that arise because of Jacob's failures in certain areas of his life. And I'd like you to look at uh, Genesis 33 and look at verse number 17. I'd just like to look at the last few verses of Genesis 33. And if you look at verse 17, the Bible says, And Jacob journeyed to Succoth. And built him a house, and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram, and pitched his tent before the city. And he, brought, and he bought a parcel of a field, where he had spread his tent, at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar, and called it... L-L-O-He, Israel. Now, it's very interesting because, you know, it, it, sometimes it's so easy to just read, you know, passages. To just read verses in the Bible and, and to just kind of uh, go through them and not really pay attention to them. But uh, I'd, I'd like to just draw out a few things and uh, kind of by way of introduction, let me show you a few verses. If you go there in Genesis, if you go back to Genesis chapter number 12, and I'd like you to look at verse number 7. Genesis chapter number 12, and I'd like you to look at verse number uh, 7. The patriarchs are usually referred to as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was the one who had the 12 sons, which we already talked about, and those sons eventually became the 12 tribes of Israel. But when we talk about the patriarchs, we're usually referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the patriarchs, up to this point, were all pilgrims dwelling in tents. If you look at Genesis chapter number 12, and you look at verse number 7, the Bible says, And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mount on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. I want you to see there in verse number, uh, the, the first part there, verse number 10, says that he pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. If you look at Genesis chapter number 13 and you look at verse number 3, Genesis chapter number 13 and look at verse number 3, the Bible says, hey, ladies back there, Elijah Marie and, and Nicole, I'm going to ask you if you guys could just move up here, please. We, we paid good good money for these seats. I want you to use them. We have, a, we have the couch available if you've got back issues, but you've got to show me a doctor's note to be able to sit back there. So why don't you guys move up here, because I want you to be part of the service, alright? Genesis chapter number 13, look at verse number 3. Genesis chapter number 13, and believe you me, Miss Carol has more than enough uh, doctor's notes uh, to get her, uh, she gets away with anything she wants. But uh, look at Genesis chapter number 13, look at verse number 3. Genesis 13, 3, the Bible says, And he went on his journey 
from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai. So you see there, Genesis, uh, Genesis 13.3, the Bible says that, that Abraham had a tent. Go, go with me to Genesis chapter number 26. Let's look at these verses just real quickly. Genesis chapter number 26. Look at verse number 7. Genesis chapter number 26. Look at verse number uh, 7. The Bible says, I'm sorry, verse number 17. Genesis 26, look at verse number 17. The Bible says, And Isaac departed thence, and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and dwelt there. So we saw there first, Abraham dwelt in tents. Now we see Isaac dwelt in tents. Look at uh, Genesis 26, look at verse number 25. Genesis 26, look at verse 25. The Bible says, And he builded an altar there, and called upon the name of the Lord. And look what it says, talking about um, Isaac, and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants digged a dwell. I want you to look at, uh, uh, go back to Genesis 24, and look at verse number 17. Genesis 24, and look at verse 17. So by way of introduction, I first wanted you to see that Abraham dwelt in tents. I secondly wanted you to see that Isaac dwelt in tents. But I'd like you to see now, in Genesis 26, 17, Genesis chapter number 26, if you look at verse number 17, the Bible says, And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent... I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse to you. Huh? I said 24, 67. Am I confusing you? Genesis 24, look at verse number 67. Genesis 24, look at verse number 67. The Bible says, And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. They're talking about when Isaac got married. And took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. I wonder you see there, that when Isaac got married, when Abraham uh, sent a... Uh, uh, a servant out to find Isaac a spouse. Bible says that Isaac brought her into uh, into Sarah, his mother's tent, because Sarah had died. So not only did Abraham uh, dwell in tents, and not only did Isaac eventually dwell in tents, but we see there that Abraham taught his son Isaac to dwell in tents. Because when when Isaac became of age to have a wife, he said, "I want you to go live in this tent where your mom, you know, used to stay there." In in uh, you know after she passed away. Look at uh, Genesis twenty five. Look at verse number twenty seven. Genesis twenty five. Look at verse number twenty seven. We see here when uh, Esau and Jacob were born, the Bible says in Genesis 26, 27, and, uh, and I'm sorry, did I say, I'm confusing myself all over. 25, 27. Just listen to the first thing I said. Yeah. 25, 27, the Bible says, The boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. I want you to see that uh, Abraham dwelt in tents. Abraham taught Isaac to dwell in tents. Isaac dwelt in tents, and the Bible says that Isaac raised his boys dwelling in tents. Now you may be asking, what is the big deal? What is you know what does all of this have to do with anything? Well, here's what you got to understand. If you go you know back to Genesis 33 and you look at verse number 17, we find one of the patriarchs doing something for the very first time that we never saw either one of his grandfather or his father do. In verse 17, Bible says, And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and look what it says, And built him a house. Now that's different than what Abraham and Isaac have been doing this whole time. You say, well, what's, what's the big deal? I don't understand. Well, here's what you got to understand. And, and we'll look at it in Hebrews in a little bit. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob being pilgrims and dwelling in tents was representative of something. Dwelling in tents represented that they were not attached to this world. They were able to 
and move at any time that God called. At any time that God called Abraham and said, I want you to go to this place. I want you to go to that place. Abraham was able to pick up his entire family and go. And that, that fact that they were living in tents and that they stayed in tents, uh, you know, was representative of the fact that they were not attached to this world. They, they were pilgrims. They were pilgrims going through. You know, as a kid, I remember we used to sing a song. It used to go, uh, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. You know, he used to say, my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open doors, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You know, and that's really what a Christian's life ought to be. A Christian's life ought to be the life of being a pilgrim. The life of, of, of having an understanding that we're not really uh, of this world. We're not really from this world. We ought not be attached to this world. We ought to just kind of be able to pick up and just one day just transfer into heaven one day when we die and, and not have too many things holding us back to this world. And, and what the story represents here, when Jacob decided that he was going to build a house and build booths for his animals, what he was doing was he was saying, I am ready now to settle down. And we see Jacob's failure, number one, as a pilgrim. Jacob failed as a pilgrim. Jacob built a house in Succoth, signifying that he was ready to settle down. The first mention of dwelling in a house is found when Lot lived in Sodom. Go back with me to Genesis chapter number 19. I understand we're, we're just kind of doing a little bit of a Bible study right now, but I'd like you to see these verses. Genesis chapter number 19. Look at verse number 1. Genesis chapter number 19 and verse 1. The Bible says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early, and go unto your way. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the streets all night. Now, if you remember, Lot was living with Abraham in a tent in the land of Mamre. But when Lot decided to leave Abraham, and he went over, the Bible tells us that he went over to Sodom, and we find him living in Sodom. And it's interesting, because if you want to find a character who's the most representative of a Christian who has settled down in the world, who has settled, who has gave up the life of a pilgrim, who has gave up the life of a tent, that would be Lot. Lot not only lived in Sodom, Lot not only owned a house in Sodom, the Bible says he sat at the gate of Sodom. I mean, Lot was in the world's society. He was in the world's leadership. He was living in the world. Let me tell you something. It destroyed his life. And, and I just want to get this point across to you. As Christians, we had to have this mentality that we are pilgrims. We are not to settle down. We are not to spiritually... You're saying, are you saying not to buy a house? I'm not saying to buy a, you know, don't buy a house physically. I'm saying spiritually, we are not ever settled down to this world. Lot bought a house in Sodom. And now we find Jacob building a house. But not only that, if you look at verse number 18, the Bible says, And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. When he came from Padanaram, look what it says, he pitched his tent before the city. Now, we just read about him having a house. At some point between those verses, Jacob must have felt bad or must have understood that maybe it was wrong for him to have that house. And he went back to the tent life. Do you see that? But when he goes back to a tent life, we see him going back to as a very reluctant pilgrim. 
Because the Bible says, he pitched his tent before the city. So even though he wasn't living in the city, he pitched his tent. He was living in a tent, but he was living in a tent where he could just watch the city. Does that remind you of Lot? You remember it said about Lot that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Because when Lot first left Abraham, the Bible says that he looked over at the well-watered plains of Jordan, that they were like the land of Egypt, and he didn't just go directly to Sodom. First he took his tent as a pilgrim and pitched his tent towards Sodom. And he just watched Sodom. And he just looked at Sodom. And as he watched Sodom and he looked at it and, and, and he allowed his mind to be filled with things Sodom, eventually we find him living in Sodom. And we find Jacob here building a house, building a you know a, a farm area here. And, and then he decides, you know, I need to get back to the pilgrim life. I need to get back to the tent life. But when he gets back to the tent life, he just kind of pitched his tent before the city. Kind of just like Lot. Look at verse 19. And he bought a parcel of a field. Where he had spread his tent. We never heard of Abraham and Isaac purchasing a field to live in. Now we did hear of Abraham and Isaac purchasing property in order to be able to bury their loved ones. But never to build a tent, never to build a house, never to live there. And, I, and I'd like to, you know, we're really preaching out of Genesis 34, but you've got to understand the end of Genesis 33 to understand Genesis 34. Jacob gave up his life as a pilgrim and decided to settle down in the world. Decided to purchase property. Decided to build booths for his cattle. Decided to build... A house. If you look at verse number 19, I want you to make note of this. So I was like, and he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. I want you to make note of verse 19. He bought a parcel of a field. He invested himself in this world. And he bought it, I want you to see this, at the hand of the children of Hamor. Make note of that name. Hamor, Shechem's Father, make note of that name, for a hundred pieces of money. Look at verse 20. He erected there an altar and called it El-El-Ohi, Israel. So he, he elects an altar. I mean, he still loves God. He's still interested in the things of God. He puts an altar there, and he names it after God, and he names it after the name that God gave him, which is Israel. But at the same time, he's settling down. He's purchasing property. He's investing himself in the things of this world. He's developing business relationships with people of this world. And I wanted you to see, number one, we saw Jacob's failure as a pilgrim. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, here's, the, here's what you must understand. Jacob's failure as a pilgrim directly influenced his failure as a parent. Look at verse number one of Genesis 34. The Bible says, And Dana, the daughter of Leah, this is Jacob's only daughter, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, does that name sound familiar? We just read it. The son of Hamor, the Hivite. So Hamor is Jacob's business partner, right? He's buying property from him. Shechem is the son. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he, look what it says, took her and 
lay with her, and defiled her. Please don't just read over these verses. you got to understand. As parents, as a pastor, as a church family, like we preached this morning, you've got to understand that the world wants our young people. The world wants to destroy our young people. It's very befitting that as we're preaching this sermon, we actually have a number of young children in the service. I'd like you to notice that Dinah was seen. First of all, the Bible says in verse 2, And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite prince of the country, saw her, he took her. Now Dinah was seen because she had been with the wrong friends. Look at what it says in verse 1. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, look what it says, and don't miss this, went out to see the daughters of the land. And and let me just ask you this question. Is it proper for Dinah, who is a Christian, who is saved, who is the daughter of Jacob, who is related to Abram, who will be in the uh, lifeline, in the, in the lifeblood of Jesus Christ, who is supposed to be living a pilgrim life, who is supposed to be living a separated life, who is supposed to be living a life that is not attached to this world. Is it proper for her to have friends of this world? And you say, well, what's the big deal? It doesn't really matter. She can have friends with the world. She can make friends with the world. Here's what you got to understand. When you allow yourself and your family to live a life that is that of not being a pilgrim, but is that of being settled down. And you say, well, it's okay for my Christian son or my Christian daughter to have worldly friends and to have worldly, uh, uh, you know, acquaintances. Well, here's what you got to understand. They hang out with the wrong people and they're going to be seen by the wrong people. And when they're seen, they're going to be defiled. Dinah was seen because she had been with the wrong friends. She was with the daughters of the land. Dinah was seen because she was in the wrong place. Look what it says. She went out to see the daughters of the land. And Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite prince of the country, saw her. He took her and lay with her and defiled her. I want you to see, first of all, Dinah was seen. Number two, Dinah was seduced. The world, you, you got to understand this. And please understand this. Especially for, you know, those of you who got young children, those of you who may have grandchildren in the future, you want to uh, help, you know, raise those kids. Oh, you know, you kids that are just here, you got to understand this. The world, there is something about the world. The Bible says that the devil is as a roaring lion, lion and he's just going about seeking whom he made devour. And there is something about the world that wants nothing more than to take a young boy, than to take a young girl who is a Christian, who is chaste, who is clean, who is godly, and they want to take them, and they want to defile them, and they want to hurt them, and they want to destroy them. You say, you're crazy. No, you're crazy. The world, for some reason, the world looks at our young people when they get raised in church, when they get raised with the things of God, they get raised in the Bible, they get taught to do right and love the God, love God and love God's Word, and we treat them right. And for some reason, the world, they get their eyes on those young girls, and these guys, they say, I want to defile that girl. Why? Because she's clean. Why? Because she's godly. Dinah was 
seen, Dinah was seduced. I want you to see Dinah was sought. If you look at verse number 3, the Bible says that his soul claimed unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the damsel. And spake kindly unto the damsel. Unlike this sermon this morning, it's the wrong people to be speaking kindly to. <laughs> look at verse 4. And, she- and Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. And Jacob heard that he had been defiled, that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now the sons were with his cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they were come. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved, and they were very wroth, because he wrought folly in Israel, and lying with Jacob's daughter. Look what it says, verse number 7. And this is not popular today, but look what it says. Which thing ought not to be done? You know, what to God in America, we get back to this type of preaching, and we get back to this type of believing, where children would be taught, hey kids, where the kids would be taught, hey, you ought not have physical relationships before marriage. You know the Bible says that's a sin? Yeah, well, the, the, the school teacher said as long as we do it, say, look, the school teacher wants to destroy your life. The school teacher wants to make sure you get defiled. The, 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 this world wants to make sure you get destroyed. This world wants to make sure you end up with STDs. They want to make sure you want to end up with a child before, uh, before getting married. They want to make sure you end up alone and single and lonely. And look, I'm not mad at anybody who's done that. I love people, you know, who are trying to get their lives right and do it right. But we're trying to love these kids before they mess up their life, before they end up pregnant, before marriage, before they end up, you know, just, you know, 18, 19 years old trying to figure out what happened. Here's what happened. You're with the wrong people. You are seen by the wrong person. And you allowed yourself to be defiled. And mom and dad, we better get back to the place. It doesn't matter if you messed up. It doesn't matter if I messed up. We better get back to the place where we put the fear of God in these kids and we teach them, I don't care what the government says. I don't care what the school says. I don't care what they, what anybody says. You got to go to the altar clean and virgin and pure and undefiled. You girls better learn how to just, you know, get a good, uh, you know, punch in you. Some boy tries to touch you, just punch him in the face. You say, well, I'm going to get in trouble if I do that. Just tell him your pastor told you to do it. Hey, they can come sue me all they want. I'm being serious. By the, way, the Bible says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. We've got teenage pregnancies soaring out of control in this country. And, and, and people say, well, well why, you know... Let them, let them do what, what they want. But here's, here's, here's what upsets me so much about it. Is these little dirtbag teenage boys that can't keep their clothes on want to impregnate all these girls and then i got to pay the taxes to make sure that they got diapers and wipes and food because they're, they're mad enough to, you know, go in the bedroom but they're not mad enough to go get a job. They're not mad enough to put a ring on the finger. And, go, and, you, and you girls, you better figure it out right now. And you just better do that. Well, I'm only uh, 10 years old. And you better figure it out right now and decide right now that you're going to put yourself above the crowd and say, hey, I'm better than that. I'm better than some little 13-year-old pimply kid that's trying to touch me. Hey, you're a child of God, Dinah. You're Jacob's daughter. Why don't you act like it? Dinah was seen. Dinah was seduced. Dinah was sought. Look at verse number 9. It's interesting how the world wants to destroy Christians. Look at verse 9. 
This is the proposal that Hamor and Shechem say. Actually, look at verse 8. The Bible says, And Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughters. I pray you give her him to wife. And look what he says. I don't just want you to give me your daughter. He says, And make ye marriages with us. And give your daughters unto us. And take our daughters unto you. And ye shall dwell with us. And the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein. And get your possessions therein. And Shechem said unto her father and unto her brethren. Let me find grace in your eyes. And what ye shall say unto me I will give. I'm telling you something right now. The world wants nothing more than to take your family. They're going to offer you. What did they, you know, it's very interesting. What did they offer Jacob? In verse 9 they said make ye marriages with us. You know what they offered him? A social outlet. I mean, Jacob's got to probably be thinking to himself, he just moved into the country, he's supposed to be a pilgrim, supposed to be separated, he's got 12 boys, and he's probably thinking to himself, I'm going to be some life for these girls. I mean, right? I don't know about you, but I don't want 12 of my middle-aged sons living with me because they can't get married. And he's probably thinking to himself, man, I'm going to have to find some godly daughters for these girls. And then these worldly men come to him and say, hey, we'll, we'll get you some daughters for your girls. That was probably very tempting for him. He said, well, where was he supposed to find the godly daughters? I don't know. Where did Noah find the godly daughters? It can be done. But they offered him a social outlet. Number two, they offered him security. Look at the first part of Genesis 34.10. It says, and ye shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. They offered him security. They said, hey, come over here. We'll make sure you're taken care of. Look at the last part of verse 10. It says, And ye shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein, and get your possessions therein. So number one, they they offered him a social outlet. Number two, they offered him security. Number three, they offered him success. They said, get your possessions there. They said, hey hey, Jacob, uh, just, just come over. Just make a pact with us. Make a deal with us. Bring your daughters and have your daughters marry our sons. And have your sons marry our daughters. And have your Christians intermingle with our world. Have your pilgrims intermingle with our city dwellers. And we'll give you a social outlet. We'll give you security. We'll give you success. But along the way, they would have destroyed the line of Jesus Christ. If Jacob would have said yes, do you understand that there'd be no Jesus? So, well, why is that? Because Jesus came from the twelve tribes of Israel, specifically Judah. And if they would have intermingled and so early in Bible history, it would have destroyed that family, and which would have destroyed that coming nation, which would have destroyed the line of David and the line of Jesus Christ. Say, so early in Christian in the Christian life, the devil was actively pursuing to destroy Christianity. Why? Because one man failed to live his life as a pilgrim. And when he failed to live his life as a pilgrim, he failed as a parent. And I'd like you to look at verse number five. The Bible says, And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah his daughter. Now his sons were with his cattle in the field. And look at what it says. And Jacob held his peace until they were come. 
I'd like to say, number one, Jacob failed as a pilgrim. Number two, Jacob failed as a parent. But number three, Jacob failed as a protector. It was Jacob's job to get upset. It was Jacob's job to get mad. It was Jacob's job. You say, Pastor Amen, why do you get up there every once in a while and just throw you a fit? And regard, because that's my job. That's what I'm here to do. That's, that, that's what we're here to do. We're here to try to scare you. We're here to try to preach to you. We're here to try to keep you right. We're here to try to get you. And look, Mom and Dad, it is your job. It is our job. If we've been given the opportunity to influence these children or influence young people, it is our job to protect them. And if that means we throw a fit, if that means we get upset, if that means we get mad and we get, you know, angry and we just scare them straight, then that's what we do. But Jacob failed when he heard what his daughter was doing and he decided to hold his peace. And that's the problem with most parents in America today. Teenage sons and daughters come in and out as they please and they just don't say anything. Look, you better believe it is your job to say something, Jacob. And if you don't, you're going to fail as a protector. And what happened was this. Jacob's sons took the matter into their own hands. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I read the story, let me say, let me say this. I believe what Jacob's sons did was wrong. And later on, when God establishes the Levitical priesthood, He doesn't put the death penalty on fornication. Now, He does put the death penalty on adultery. I don't know if you know that. But God says if a man commits adultery or a woman commits adultery, they are to be stoned to death. In the Levitical, I'm not talking about America in 2009, I'm talking about in the Bible times, in the laws of God. But on fornication, all they were supposed to do is if a, if a, if a couple fornicated before marriage, all they were supposed to do is get married. You know, just make it right. So Jacob's, and obviously you've got to understand, the Levitical law has not been established at this point. But I do believe Jacob's sons took it to an extreme. But if you look at verse number 13, I just want you to see what they did. They took it to an extreme, but it's interesting what they did. If you look at verse 13, the Bible says, And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem, and Hamer his father. Look what it says, they answered him deceitfully. You know, like father, like son, I guess. And said, because he had defiled Dinah their sister... And they said unto them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that were a reproach unto us. But in this will we consent unto you, if ye will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised. Then will we give our daughters unto you, and will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. So they said, now, keep in mind, they're speaking deceitfully. They're saying, if everybody... In your country, in your city, if they become like us, which is circumcised, then we'll go ahead and we'll dwell as one people. Look at verse 17. But if you will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. And the words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. And the young man deferred not to do this thing, because he had delight in Jacob's daughter, and he was more honorable than all the house of his father. Next to my Bible, I, I wrote off to that saying, you know, that's not saying much. <laughs> he was more honorable than, than everybody in, his, in, in the house of his father. Look at verse 20. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came unto the gate of their cry, of their city, and communed with the men of their city, saying, 
These men are peaceable with us. Therefore let them dwell in the land and trade therein. For the land, behold, it is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us for wives and let us give them our daughters. Only herein will the men consent unto us for to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male among us be circumcised at they as they are circumcised. Look at verse 23. Shall not their cattle and their substance and every beast of theirs, of theirs be ours? Only let us consent unto them. And they will dwell with us. Now it's interesting. Because these people are now showing their true face. Hamor's only interest, because you've got to remember, if you've been with us in the book of Genesis, you understand, Jacob's a very wealthy man at this point. Jacob has a lot of money. Jacob has a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of possessions. And they're saying, hey look, these guys said, if we get circumcised, they're going to come join us. And look, we can have all their cattle. We can have all their riches. We can have everything. Shall not their cattle and their substance and every beast of theirs be ours? Only let us consent unto them, and they will dwell with us. Look at verse 24. And unto Hamor and unto Shechem, his son hearkened all that went out of the gate of his city. And every male was circumcised. And all that went out of the gate of his city. And it came to pass on the third day, when they were sore, that... The two sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Zidah's brother, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. So they all got circumcised. They waited three days. Obviously, they just went through a medical procedure. They're all sore. They're at the place where these men are not ready to battle. And Dinah's two older brothers just walk into town with a sword and just kill every man. Isn't that interesting? Now look. I'm not condoning what they did. But what to God? Someone would get mad about sin, like these guys did. Today. I mean, today, you go to the average church, and it's okay, it all flies, it's not a problem. And look, we're talking about this morning. You cannot have love for something without hating certain things. It's the truth. You say, well, these sermons are so negative, they're so mean, I don't want to hear that. Well, look, yeah, they're mean and they're negative and they're evil, but we've got to abhor the evil if we're going to love these kids. And we're going to, you know, uh, watch out for these kids. If we want to give these kids a chance to not ruin their lives and not mess up their life. If we love these kids, then we're going to have to abhor some evil. And these guys just went in there and killed all these people. Look at verse 27. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep and their oxen and their asses and that which was in the city and that which was in the field and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives took their captives and spoiled even all that was in the house. Look at verse 30. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, Ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me, and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And Jacob, for the first time in the entire story, speaks up. But here's the problem. It's too late. Too late. See, you're not going to speak up to your... 30-year-old son and, and try to teach him the Bible principles you should have been teaching him when he was 5 years old. 6 years old. And, I, and I'm sorry to say that. You, we, just got, we need to understand that. Jacob, there comes a time when as a protector, when you open up your mouth, it's just too late. Dinah's already been defiled. Your sons have already committed murder. Jacob failed as a protector. And look at what they answered. Verse 31. And they said, 
Should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? I mean, can you just feel the anger? In the, I mean, I just imagine the anger in the voice as her dad is just rebuking them for what they did. And they're saying, are you okay with what they did to our sister? And, here's, and, I, and, I would, I, and this is what I envision. If Jacob would have dealt with the, with the situation as he should have from the beginning, I'm sure his sons, would, they just needed judgment. They wanted to see somebody stand up and protect their sister. And yes, they took it to an extreme, but it's because they didn't see dad do his job. And the problem, Jacob, is that you could have put a stop to this long ago. I mean, he could have put a stop to this back at Genesis 3-4-5 when he decided to hold his peace. He could have just said something and dealt with the situation like a man. He could have put a stop to this if he kept his children from running free in the world and being friends with whoever and just going into these cities and, and you know going around just hanging out with all these people who knows who they're with who knows what time they're coming back I mean he could have put a stop to it then he could have put a stop to it before he decided to go into a business deal with Hamor because I don't know if you caught it but Shechem probably was introduced to Dinah back when Jacob was deciding to stop being a pilgrim and buy property, and settle down in the world. I just want you to look at one passage we'll be done tonight. Go, go with me to Hebrews chapter number 11, in your New Testament. Hebrews chapter number 11. If you go towards the end of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter number 11, and I'd like you to look at these verses. After Hebrews, you've got the book of James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. Those are all very small books. Hebrews is the, other than Revelation, it's probably the last large book there. Hebrews, chapter number 11. And I'd like you to look at verse number 13. Hebrews, chapter number 11. Look at verse 13. The Bible says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed them. Look what it says. That they were strangers. That word strangers there is the same, is the same as our word foreigner. Someone who's foreign. It says that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Look at verse 14. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, and He, for He hath prepared for them a city. The Bible says that someone who declares that they are a stranger and a pilgrim on the earth, that they, those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. I, this is the challenge for tonight. This is what I'm trying to get across. Are you living your spiritual life as a pilgrim? As a stranger? I understand we've got to live in this world. I understand. We, we got to go to work. We got to make money. Look, I, I go to work. I, you know, we got things we got. I, I, I understand all that. But are you attached to this world? Or do you have an attitude as, hey, I'm just on a 
journey in this world. I'm just completing my time. I'm just a pilgrim. I'm just a stranger. This isn't my country. This isn't my home. I seek a better country. I seek a heavenly country. Hey, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Is that your attitude? Are you more settled down than you'd like to be? More invested than you should be? The Bible says they that declare these things declare plainly that they seek a country. But look at verse 15. That's the key verse. And truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came. That's where you got saved out of. That's the world that you got saved out of. He said if you were mindful of the country that they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. What country? That is in heaven. Won't you live your life as a pilgrim? Won't you just decide to live your life? You say, well, well, well how, how do I live as a pilgrim? You're just unattached to this world. You just live unattached to this world. You're not attached to this world's music. You're not attached to this world's entertainment. You're not attached to this world's lifestyle. You're not attached. Hey, you got to live your life in a way where worldly people look at you, unsafe people look at you, and they, they just think you're a little strange. They just think you're a little different. They just think, you know, you know how you look at a foreigner sometimes, you go into a store and somebody's maybe, they say something a little different, or maybe they, they switch around the words and they don't say it the right way, and you think, oh, you know, that, they just did that because they're a foreigner. They're not from this area. Not, that's how the world ought to look at you. They ought to look at you and say, oh, oh they're just a little foreign. Oh, what country do they come from? I don't know what country they came from, but they're just a little weird. They're a little strange. They're a little peculiar. They're just passing through. Is that your attitude? Jacob failed as a pilgrim. Therefore, he failed as a parent. And he failed as a protector. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to fail at any of those. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father.